Everyone, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, the rise in murders of indigenous activists, citizens, and lawyers throughout Mexico since the beginning of the year, and the Vatican's repudiation of the doctrine of discovery, a theological legal instrument used historically by monarchies and governments throughout the Western Hemisphere and the continent of Africa and still used today to justify the dispossession and theft of indigenous people's lands. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright The lone through in the black of the night You can hear, you can hear The whisper in the In the first segment of to our program today here on American Indian Airwaves, we go to the nation state of Mexico as since the beginning of 2023, there's been an unusually high number of indigenous activists, indigenous citizens, and even lawyers that have been murdered as a result of the ever-expanding militarization, the increased intensification of mega projects such as the Mayan train, and plus more. Our guest speaks on the rise of the violence against indigenous defenders, the pattern of impunity throughout the nation state of Mexico, and the rise of self-defense groups, and what happened at the National Indigenous Congress, the CNI, this past March 4th and 5th of 2023, when they had their National Assembly, and what is the response to the rise in the murders of indigenous peoples throughout the nation-state of Mexico. Our guest for the first segment is Richard stollard Shok, a retired professor of political science at Eastern Michigan University and community activist involved with the School of Chiapas, which is an organization of grassroots activists and communities working to support the autonomous indigenous Zapatista communities of Chiapas, Mexico. School of Chiapas was created in the mid-1990s by individuals searching for ways to make the world a better place and working to create a world where all fits. In part one, we are joined by Marcus Lopez, executive producer of American Indian Airwaves, as we interview Richard Stuller Schulk in an update on the rise of murders of indigenous peoples throughout Mexico. We're speaking with Richard Seller Show about the situation with the Zapatistas in Mexico and other aspects of the situation within Mexico and within even Latin America. But suffice to say, Richard, thank you for joining us in the American Indian Airways. It's a pleasure to be with you, Marcus. So, Richard, why don't you talk to us and our listeners about the violence against the defenders 
There's been a lot of discussion about that across Mexico. A number of indigenous defenders of land and territory environment has disappeared recently. You know, we have Santos de la Cruz, Carrillo, uh, the Antonio Diaz Valencia, and Ricardo Lagunes, and Irma Galindo. Talk about that. And who are these people? And shed some light on that for us, please. Sure. There have just been a, a wave of uh, violent kidnappings, disappearances, assassinations of uh, people who are defending uh, community rights, land and territory rights, and overwhelmingly they're indigenous people from indigenous communities across Mexico. This is uh, very much on the rise. Um, before I get into some of those details of the specific cases, the background to this, of course, is global capitalism and the neoliberal model of trying to turn everything and everyone into a commodity, which has led to this vast expansion of global capital's greed for extracting so-called natural resources um, in Latin America and really in many other parts of the world as well. Um, and so that means that indigenous communities are sort of, um, you know, ground zero targets for being forcibly evicted, terrorized, so that they leave or give up or sign concessions to the territories for these resources. So that's really what's behind it, money um, and uh, greed of global corporate interests and the governments that defend those interests. Uh, so those uh, cases that you mentioned specifically, um, uh, one of the uh, uh, outrageous cases of violence against these defenders uh, was Santos de la Cruz Carrillo, uh, who is from uh, the state of Durango near the border of the state of Nayarit in northwest Mexico. Uh, he is an indigenous Huicharica, uh, the, the group that uh, formerly known as Huicho, uh, and a defender of the sacred desert lands of the Wirikuta from um, depredation by Canadian mining companies that want to take over the valuable resources and uh, get rid of all the inconvenient people. Um, Santos de la Cruz also happens to be a lawyer in addition to an indigenous activist and community uh, defender, um, so I'm sure he's considered particularly dangerous to these corporate interests. Uh, he was disappeared forcibly uh, with his wife and uh, two small children um, just uh, last month. Um, and there's a you know a massive campaign to put pressure and visibility on that um, disappearance. Um, this is just one of many, but he was a very prominent um, activist. Um, and then uh, the other um, pair of defenders uh, who were um, uh, disappeared together in January of this year, Antonio Diaz uh, Valencia was a is a, presumably still alive. We don't know a Nahuatl. Uh, teacher and human rights environmental defender from the state of Michoacan. There are massive mega projects that global capital uh, has in mind for, for that state. Um, and in this particular case, uh, he and uh, Ricardo Lagunes, who is a human rights uh, defender and lawyer, um, were opposing a, a, a massive mining complex in the community of San Miguel de Aquila in the state of Michoacan. So they were um, disappeared in uh, January of this year. And then there's an older case, but it's an ongoing disappearance. Uh, Irma Galindo um, is a uh, Mixteca indigenous person from uh, the state of Oaxaca in southwest Mexico, uh, a forest defender. 
Um, and of course, there are uh, interests that want to get their hands on the forest resources and the, and the lands. And um, she has been disappeared since uh, November of 2021. Richard, I was wondering if um, maybe we could unpack some of these uh, global capitalist projects. So I know in the past, you know, we've talked about you know, the Mayan train project, but there's also the inner oceanic corridor, right? Or the more Morales integral project. And so maybe speak to that, um, those projects in relationship to the epistemic or systemic rise in violence perpetrated against indigenous peoples. And, And you mentioned the extractive industry. So within that same long breath, if you will, maybe talk about, uh, the rise of uh, the extractive industries in relationship to lithium as we are experiencing here, you know, extractive industries kind of greenwashing themselves, but at the same time uh, going in and uh, desecrating sacred lands and ripping the veins out of Mother Earth in order to mine lithium under the pretext of combating the climate crisis. Sure. Uh, those um, three mega projects that you mentioned are some of the prime examples, not the only ones by any means mm-hmm. of this, um, uh, you know, expansion of global capital and their displacement of indigenous and other communities. Uh, so I'll mention those three specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, the so-called Maya train, which Maya groups are outraged even by the name because there's nothing Maya about this train project. Um, the government also tries to sell it. Uh, as ecotourism, a kind of greenwashing, but that label is rejected also by the indigenous communities all along the route. So this would be a train route that would connect uh, Mayan uh, sacred sites and uh, um, and ruins um, between the site of Palenque in the state of Chiapas and uh, all the way in the, the southeast of the country, all the way up to the Yucatan Peninsula, where there are a number of Mayan sites. And in order to build this uh, tourist train, of course, it would create a whole tourist industry across, cutting right through a vast swath of Mayan communities and territories, some of the poorest communities in all of Mexico, which is saying a lot. Um, And uh, so it would um, uh, not only displace people from their lands, but it would have a devastating environment, is having already a devastating environmental impact as they're clear-cutting forests and and other lands along the way. Um, And to add insult to injury, uh, the government concocts a series of fake so-called consultations with the indigenous communities, buying off a few um, uh, leaders, pretending to have a consultation to which most people are not invited or unaware that was even happening, and then say, look, we won the vote. Um, So they buy some people off. They pretend to have a consultation. They claim that there's consensus, but um, nothing could be uh, farther from the truth. Um, The Zapatistas have been, among others, active in resisting in the portion of the so-called Mayan train that would go through the state of, of Chiapas, um, it's not Zapatista communities, but it's not just Zapatistas. Indigenous communities all along the, the route um, have been in resistance. And it's another example of a tactic to divide communities because some people in very poor communities will take the money and, and say, oh, great, you know, this is bringing in jobs. Um, and that creates tensions and divisions between indigenous groups. Government loves to pit groups against each other 
Um, and then if there's violence resulting, say, look, these people are all so violent, I guess we better send in the military to restore order. Uh, so it's sort of, <laughs> it's a no-win situation. Um, speaking of the military, these mega projects, um, uh, many of them have been turned over to the military to administer them. Mm. Uh, and so this is something that's not well known outside of Mexico, but um, the tremendous militarization of the country and specifically of the mega projects is something that the National Indigenous Congress of Mexico has been denouncing. Uh, so anyway, the so-called Mayan train is one of those projects. Um, another that you mentioned is the um, integral development project in um, uh, Morelos. So it's multifaceted, but includes a, um, a pipeline project. Um, and again, uh, very large amounts of money, uh, lots of displacement, very little uh, real consultation uh, with the communities. And then another of the massive projects in the southwest of, of Mexico, in the state of Oaxaca, um, there is a, a kind of narrow isthmus, a narrowing of the, the land um, between the oceans, um, where there have long been um, investments by foreign corporations, Spanish and, and other corporations, in uh, massive wind farms. And you know we tend to think of wind energy as a, a green source, but not when you create, uh, when you sort of clear cut an entire massive area of land, displace the communities from their livelihood, and just put windmills as far as the eye can see packed in closely. So that's part of it. But this project, it's very ambitious, it would include deep water ports and a high-speed uh, cargo uh, rail line across the, the isthmus to connect the Pacific and Atlantic. So it really is a project of global capital of massive proportions, kind of you know, like the um, Panama Canal or the Chinese Canal project in, in Nicaragua, sort of on that scale um, of infrastructure, energy, et cetera. When we talk about extractive industries, uh, typically that's mining or the extraction of uh, petroleum um, subsoil resources, but if we extend the concept more generally, extracting energy um, uh, from, say, hydroelectric uh, dams or the, these wind uh, energy uh, farms, uh, or um, even agro-industry is a kind of extraction from the land of a resource that's then uh, made available in the global market, but it concentrates, of course, all the, the wealth and the profits in the hands of uh, uh, large transnational corporations and leaves the communities destitute, bereft of their natural resources, not to mention their connection to the land and their culture, and they're being deliberately divided, pitted against each other uh, in ways that are just absolutely destructive of the social fabric of indigenous communities. So those are a few examples of mega projects and their impact. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Richard Stuller Schulk on the recent spike of indigenous murders, of indigenous activists, citizens, and even lawyers throughout the nation state of Mexico. And we want to remind listeners that uh, KPFK is presently in fun drive mode, and we want to inform you of our thank you items for helping to support us here on American Indian Airwaves and here on KPFK. We are offering two phenomenal premium items. Uh, one is the book by Stephen Newcomb. 
The book is Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery. It's a $100 uh, thank you item. And the other thank you item we are offering here on American Indian Airwaves is the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild and written by Stephen Newcomb. These are two phenomenal premium items. They are $100 each that you can pick up for $100 as a way to support us here on American Indian Airways and KPFK. And we're going to talk more about uh, the doctrine of discovery, or as Stephen Newcomb reminds us, the doctrine of dominion. And certainly those of you that have uh, paid attention or are aware of recent news coverage of the Vatican's repudiation of the doctrine of discovery. But these are two phenomenal premium items you can pick up uh, by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website, click on the KPFK widget, and pick up either one of these thank you items there at kpfk.org. Marcus? I think it's so important, Larry, that we're we're talking about these premiums. It's like a thank you. Thank you for the uh, donations of $100 per book and for the film, both educational, if you're from an educational organization, church, social group, trade union, or whatever, indigenous group. These books are invaluable. So once again, Larry, like you said, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. We offer these as part of our program here on the American Indian Airways. We want to thank you so much, our listeners, that support us through, through the years, and especially indigenous nations in California that were primary way, but also those individuals and organizations and nations throughout the world that listen to us through the internet. Once again, kpfk.org, and we'll have some more discussions on that with some interviews with Steve Newcomb and the rest. Larry. Thank you, Marcus. We want to remind listeners that the book is Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery. It's a $100 book by Stephen Newcomb. And the DVD is called The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild. It's a $100 thank you item. Both the book and the DVD uh, do a remarkable and phenomenal job talking about the doctrine of discovery, this theological legal instrument used by colonial monarchies and even governments throughout the Western Hemisphere and the continent of Africa to dispossess indigenous peoples of their lands. And now, Marcus, we want to go back to our interview with Richard Stoller Schulk on the rise of indigenous murders against indigenous activists, defenders, citizens, lawyers, and more here on American Indian Airwaves. So I mentioned um, lithium because I know within the politically defined borders of the United States, um, there was an industry report back in 2019 that indicated about 75% of lithium reserves were either in adjacent to or nearby uh, Native American nations. And of course, uh, our listeners have been following, you know, some of these frontline struggles. The courts have approved a Canadian lithium mining company and 
in, uh, in which they began operations uh, recently in starting to mine lithium in what pe- most people know as Thacker Pass. Or, and um, I was curious, uh, what are we seeing in Mexico in terms of the mining of lithium, but also other uh, m- rare metals that are used, right, to manufacture batteries, right, for electric vehicles and, and other uh, technology, and and the push, right, to greenlight these kind of projects as a form of greenwashing to combat the climate crisis, or at least the argument being made by companies and nation-state governments. Yes, as you rightly point out, with the uh, growing demand for lithium because of uh, lithium batteries for electric uh, vehicles that has uh, vastly increased the attractiveness and the profitability of lithium extraction for global corporations. Uh, In Mexico, uh, there was uh, the Mexican Geographical Geological Survey just um, carried out uh, a a program of exploration and surveying, uh, and they have identified significant uh, lithium deposits in 82 locations in 17 states across the country uh, with what they call possible deposits. And uh, so they have begun already the process of uh, making these available. They passed that legislation in which the government is sort of creating a state company called uh, Litio MX um, that will uh, essentially be the the broker for concessioning out the extraction of this uh, lithium to global corporations. It's um, all under the framework of the new version of NAFTA uh, called the um, Mexico-Canada uh, Free Trade Agreement or U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement. And uh, this has this new survey and uh, formation of this state lithium company to um, you know kind of turnover rights to global corporations has been denounced by. Uh, the, the NGO Mining Watch Canada, as well as the Mexican network of people affected by mining, um, and uh, so the you know the battle is on. This is just the the early stage where they're preparing the sellout. Um, but already, uh, Mexican activists, environmentalists, and uh, the communities that are going to be affected are starting to gather information and try to to counteract this. So it's very similar to what we're seeing in other parts of the Americas. Richard, the the aspect of I don't want to get too much involved in the political economy of mineral extraction. There's a lot of information. But one of the things that Zapatista is always talking about is that the system is creeping in every corner of the earth, bringing out flesh and drinking our blood every day, every hour, and every geography. So the death and destruction that gave life to the hydra of the capital system and allows it to grow and reproduce itself, even in the most unsuspecting corners of humanity. Its creed is war. So it shows its predatory ways at times, now more and more often, simply to preserve pleasure, to preserve itself, to reproduce itself, to look at this, what we're talking about. And that's why I wanted to start with this, with naming these individuals, it's not just an academic question or a political economy. Or it's like we discussed in previous programs, these are lives of indigenous people and the surrounding peoples and peoples in urban areas and rural areas need to understand that the hydro system as the capitalist hydra 
that the Zapatist is talking about is very well alive, number one. But secondly, that um, this particular activity is so, so we need to understand that, number one. And these names of these people, Santo de la Cruz, Carrillo, Antonio Diaz, uh, Valencia, and Ricardo Lagunas, and Irma Galindo, are real people doing real activity in a country that is oppression. And I won't get into this, hopefully we have some time, but you're going into this whole whole stuff, and you mentioned this, about the pattern of impunity about the crimes against indigenous people continues. What do you mean by that? Share with that little bit of snippet, because we just have only a limited amount of time in order to describe this, and that, I think this is very important. Mexico in a country right south of us, you know, and I don't prescribe to the political um, um, borders per se, but this is a whole region, indigenous um, nations trying to do something for themselves. Um, talk about this patterns of impunity and these culpable that long question for the self-defense groups. Okay, sure. Um, I think, as you say, uh, you know, real people are dying in these resource wars, and it's important to keep that in mind. When we think of war, we think of you know government armies, um, you know, organized and institutionalized in a way. But this is a different kind of war, but no less real and no less deadly. Um, just uh, as an example. Um, the Mexican National Indigenous Congress, the umbrella organization for the 60-plus indigenous groups in, in Mexico, um, just had a national assembly uh, in uh, Tehuacan, Puebla uh, last month. And in their um, kind of statement inviting people to this national assembly, uh, just to, to read a brief uh, bit of this that um, that describes how indigenous people are reacting to this uh, these resource wars in their territory. Um, the National Indigenous Congress, the CNI, said uh, the war of extermination continues, and they're referring here to this war that's killing indigenous people and um, in the name of uh, extracting resources. And it has its military branch in the triad of the army the Navy and the National Guard. This is the new militarized unit that uh, President Lopez Obrador created in Mexico, which uh, accompany the imposition of mega projects in indigenous territories. And they generate a growing militarization of the whole country, and at the same time, uh, allow a strategic extension of organized crime um, and in uh, greater and greater parts of the national territory. The military branch doesn't act alone, uh, but rather it's accompanied by a paramilitary branch uh, and it spills over into organized crime, which together with the bad government has generated a climate of fear, threats, attacks, and assassinations against those who defend autonomy of their peoples and territories. So that kind of sums up um, all of these uh, connections. Uh, and the other part that you were um, commenting about is impunity, that is, uh, the uh, the military, the killers of these um, uh, uh, land and environmental defenders uh, get away for the most part uh, scot-free, unpunished. There's uh, rampant impunity for them uh, for intimidating activist organizing. Um, and the flip side of that is there's a criminalization of the activists themselves. Uh, they're uh, constantly being arrested and charged with trumped-up charges. So, for example, um, there is a 
Zapatista support-based community member, Manuel Gomez Vasquez, a Tzeltau indigenous man from the Ocosingo region, uh, who was a, a member of the Good Governance Council, the Junta de Buen Gobierno, one of the Zapatista Caracoles, or regional centers of governance, uh, who was arrested and tortured uh, two years ago by armed civilians and then turned over to the prosecutors who charged him with homicide uh, with no evidence whatsoever. And he's been held in pretrial detention uh, ever since, exceeding the, uh, the legal limit for holding people under pretrial de de detention, not to mention that there's no evidence whatsoever against him. So human rights groups have been, you know, calling for uh, his release. So people who are activists in the communities trying to defend communities against um, uh, global capital and the mega projects and the intrusions on their rights and autonomy, they're criminalized. But on the other hand, uh, the assassins get away either scot-free or with light sentences. An example of the latter is the killers of Simon, Perez, uh, Simon Pedro Perez, who was a member of Las Abejas, uh, a pacifist indigenous rights organization in the highlands of Chiapas that has been sympathetic to the Zapatistas. Um, uh, uh, Simon Pedro Perez was killed uh, two years ago in July of 2021 while he was walking with his son in a, a town in the, in the highlands. Uh, he was a human rights defender. And uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the alleged killer uh, was, um, you know, allowed to um, kind of roam free, and his trial was delayed through one tactic after another for over a year and a half, and they finally, you know, did a sort of accelerated version of the trial and gave him a light sentence, but refused to investigate who was really behind ordering his assassination. So they got the trigger man, but they didn't get the, um, you know, the intellectual authors of the crime, and so on and so forth. So this is the pattern. Um, those who defend human rights, indigenous rights, autonomy for communities, uh, they are charged as criminals and sometimes even terrorists. And those who uh, assassinate, intimidate, and forcibly disappear them uh, get away with either completely free or no sentences whatsoever. And we want to remind listeners, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with retired professor Richard Stuller Schulk, community activist, and with the School of Chiapas on the rise of indigenous murders throughout the nation state of Mexico since the beginning of 2023. And now back to the interview. So it's this frustration with the failure of the justice system in Mexico that has led some indigenous communities to organize armed self-defense groups. Uh, not an ideal solution by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and uh, sometimes they organize these groups to try to fend off the organized crime and drug cartels that are now given free reign by the government to operate in these communities. Um, so one example was in the, uh, the highland region of Chiapas, there was an armed self-defense group that formed in June of 2021 called Los Machetes. And um, that group quickly degenerated into just another criminal group. Uh, you know, once they sort of got a hold of territorial control, they started to uh, extort and use strong-arm tactics to extort members of the community and terrorize members of the community. And so that led to, just last month, the formation of a new self-defense group to counteract that self-defense group. Uh, so we can see where this is going, a sort of spiral of violence uh, in which indigenous groups are pitted against each other 
but all out of the frustration because the government doesn't provide true security for uh, communities, but instead it's just providing security for global capital, corporations, extractive industries, and indirectly for the criminal organizations like the drug cartels themselves. And we want to remind listeners that uh, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves uh, here on KPFK, and we appreciate all of you that continue to support us here on American Indian Airwaves and, and KPFK. And we have two phenomenal and crucially important thank you items as a way to financially support us here on KPFK. We're offering uh, the book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery by Stephen Newcomb as a $100 thank you item, as well as the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Stephen Wolfschild and written by Stephen Newcomb as a $100 thank you item. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with the Doctrine of Discovery, it is the Vatican uh, legal instruments, the papal bulls that give colonists, if you will, European colonists, the theological legal justification for dispossessing indigenous peoples of their lands throughout the Western Hemisphere, as well as the continent of Africa. And so these two thank you items tell the story of the foundations to dispossessing and stealing indigenous people's lands. That is Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the uh, Doctrine of Christian Discovery, a book for $100, or The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, a documentary, again, a $100 thank you item. You can pick up both the book and the DVD for $100 each by calling 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735, or you can visit the kpfk.org website, click on the KPFK pledge widget and pick up the book or the DVD for $100 each or pick them both up for a total of $200. Marcus? Larry, we want to ask our listeners, if they're not familiar with the doctrine of discovery, I think Steve Newcomb repeats the situation of easier to say or understand the doctrine of domination, the doctrine of control, the doctrine of this massive amount of evil act. With the church this week, the Catholic Church stated that many Christians have committed evil acts against indigenous peoples for which the recent Pope have asked forgiveness on numerous occasions, and that the Church acknowledged that these papal bulls did not adequately reflect the equal dignity and rights of indigenous peoples. This is something that's really new in the sense of the statement. On the other hand of it, Larry, when the Pope went to Canada, we covered some of the comments about when the Pope visited Canada, and many of our programs talked about before, even the canonization, of the Hunupuro Sera, but suffice to say that gives you the, the framework and Steve's book doesn't play around and talks about uh, the method in which this occurred. It talks about going from the sense of understanding it so indigenous people can finally realize what happened. Like even, and you mentioned this, Larry, numerous times, about the legal interpretation, how the United States of America, the legal jurisprudence uses that in order to continue oppress, exploit, 
this particular situation that we face today, when we talked about it, when we talked to Richard, the uh, capitalist Hydra and, and the Zapatistas, but yet the notion of this continuing to the very day, how that it could be articulated as far as what that is. These two items, Larry, we're trying to give through a donation of a premium, $100 for the book, $100 for the film, these are gold and reference to an explanation of some of the things indigenous people ask the question of, not only for their aspects of the courts or the aspects of political processes within these United States in North America, but yet this we provide you, Larry, and we try to go out of our way in order to provide you with something substantial and something that means something. And so when you phone this number, 818-985-5735, that's 818-985-5735. Whether you're listening to the Internet, you're from an Owen Daga Nation, or whether you're listening to Southern Cal over radio and all over Kumeyaay, all over Chumash country, down in uh, the Tongva here in Los Angeles, or the Kawea, or the other many tribes within nations within Southern Cal, we can see that gives you a terrific amount of understanding of what when people say the doctrine of discovery, doctrine of domination, how that occurred, when it occurred, and what that means today. Larry. Thank you, Marcus. And we want to remind listeners they can pick up the book and the DVD by calling 818-985-5735 or visit the kpfk.org website. Click on the KPFK widget. You can select those thank you items for $100 each or select from other premium items of your choice for a specific dollar denomination. Or you can become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by agreeing to make monthly dollar denominations of your choice by visiting kpfk.org. And we want to go back to our interview with Richard Stuller Schulk, a retired professor uh, at the University of Eastern Michigan, a community activist, longtime uh, work with the School of Chiapas. We interviewed him on the rising spike of murders of indigenous land defenders, citizens, even lawyers throughout the nation state of Mexico since the beginning of 2023. And now back to the interview. Richard, the article by Magdalena Gomez on Nada, I think, or the um, support group of Chiapas mentioned the 27th anniversary signing of San Andreas Accord, which in itself is a long discussion. But that's the exciting thing about it is that the assemblies, what's happening with the National Indigenous Congress since 1996 is, or, is organizing, indigenous people are organizing, they're being action-orientated. Talk about that for our listeners so we can see that just like in North America, many of our interviews here in American Indian Airways talking about Native people are active, they're uh, proactive, and they are engaged in our communities at a grassroots level. Talk about that for the assemblies in the near future. Sure. Uh, so the San Andres Accords that you mentioned, uh, to remind the, uh, the listeners, uh, were negotiated after the Zapatista uprising of January 1994 um, the Zapatistas agreed to enter negotiations with the government, and the government decreed a, a ceasefire. 
those negotiations, of course, went nowhere. The government just ran out the clock and uh, was um, stalling and obfuscating. Um, fortunately, the Zapatistas just went ahead and proceeded to implement their autonomy project in their community in the meantime and said, we don't need permission to be free. Uh, we'll talk to you, but in the meantime, we're doing this thing. Uh, and so uh, when the San Andres Accords were signed in February of 1996, uh, the, uh, they supposedly granted a right of autonomy to indigenous communities, but what the government meant by that was that they would choose their flunkies and their intermediaries uh, and sort of decentralize a quota of, of power and resources to those people in the communities. The last thing they wanted was actual community control, certainly not of uh, resources, economic resources. Um, so uh, that whole uh, agreement went nowhere. And so here we are, the agreement was signed in 1996. The implementing legislation when it finally came out in 2001 was a complete sham. Um, the Zapatistas organized a, a caravan to go to Mexico City to uh, call for, you know, real implementation, but instead they passed this so-called national indigenous law that did everything that was the opposite of the spirit of the San Andres Accords. Um, so in the meantime, indigenous people throughout Mexico have seen through this sham. And in 1996, the year of the San Andres Accords, two years after the Zapatista uprising, indigenous groups throughout the country got together and formed the National Indigenous Congress, the CNI. And they've been meeting and getting stronger ever since, sharing experiences. Um, and so just last month, the CNI, I, I mentioned this briefly before, had a national assembly in Tehuacan in the state of Puebla. And in that assembly, uh, in you know now sharing the pattern of what was going on all over the country, they denounced these mega projects, which many indigenous communities call projects of death, and the attacks on human rights defenders. They specifically called out the state for doing nothing about the forced disappearance of Santos de la Cruz Carrillo, the Wixarica activist and, uh, and lawyer and environmental defender. And at this assembly, they also denounced the military uh, administration of the mega projects, which they very bluntly pointed out was a cover for paramilitaries and for organized crime uh, to run rampant and terrorize the communities. Uh, but they're not stopping there. Uh, the assembly is making plans for another caravan called uh, the South Resists, which will be uh, a caravan across South and Southeast Mexico to visit some of these sites of the mega projects, visit indigenous communities. That will take place between April 25th and May 5th. And it will start in the Tehuantepec Isthmus in the state of Oaxaca, where the, uh, the Transismian Corridor Project that we talked about uh, is underway. Uh, and it will proceed across Chiapas and, and the state of Tabasco and up into uh, the Yucatan uh, Peninsula. And then at the conclusion of that caravan, there will be uh, a two-day international meeting, May 6th and 7th, in San Cristobal in the state of Chiapas um, to sort of uh, share and report back on, on these experiences and, and denounce and sort of reinforce the networks of indigenous people. Um, so. Uh, indigenous people in Mexico are certainly not uh, being passive and, and taking uh, this war of extermination, um, uh, you know, lying down. Richard, I love the uh, CNI. They take up the Zapatista thought of achieving the impossible because too much has already been said about the possible. <laughs> we can take this in the different levels. Uh, we're running out of time. 
we really appreciate you, uh, Rich, for your discussion. We'll have further discussion, especially on the South Resist and all the activity of indigenous peoples in Mexico, our southern Abayala South neighbors, and we'll, we'll continue the discussion in the near future. Richard, thank you very much. Thank you, Marcus and Larry, and thanks for uh, American Air- Indian Airways uh, programming. And we want to remind listeners that uh, you are listening to American Indian Airwaves here on KPFK. And if you appreciate the work of the volunteer programmers and paid staff here at KPFK, we're asking you to continue to financially support us here on American Indian Airways and particularly KPFK as we bring you marginalized voices of indigenous peoples and our allies. We are offering two phenomenal thank you items or premium items as a way to say help us and thank you. Uh, We are offering Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery. It's a book by Stephen Newcomb. It's a $100 thank you item. And we're also offering the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Stephen Wolf. Our Sheldon Wolfchild. It's a $100 thank you item. And the Doctrine of Discovery has recently received some, but very little media attention, certainly in the American mass media, but even in alternative media circles, little coverage about the recent announcement by the Vatican. And this past March 30th, right, the Vatican issued a uh, statement, a joint statement of the dicasteries for the culture of education and for promoting integral human development on the doctrine of discovery. And so there was a formal statement, right, repudiating the doctrine of discovery. And so this connects directly to our two thank you items. And so while the Vatican is repudiating the doctrine of discovery, right, the legal instrument used to by colonists to dispossess indigenous peoples of their t- quote unquote titles to to d- so-called discovered lands in the annals of world history, uh, the church is repudiating the doctrine of discovery, uh, but at the same time, in a very uh, apologetic way, right? in other words, distancing itself from its own complicity in the dispossession of indigenous people's lands. And we should say as well, Marcus, and we were talking about this earlier, that you know the churches are some of the largest landholders within the United States, and they have indigenous people's lands, right? They're, those institutions are on indigenous people's lands. So it'll be interesting to see you know, uh, what the outcome is of this joint statement, even within uh, these religious institutions um, that are connected to directly and indirectly to the Vatican in relationship to its repudiation of the doctrine of discovery. And if you want to learn more about the doctrine of discovery or the Christian doctrine of dominion, if you will, you can pick up the book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery is a $100 thank you item or the DVD you can pick up. It's called The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild. It's a $100 thank you item, or you can pick them both up for $100 each. And you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website, click on the KPFK pledge widget, pick up 
uh, the book, pick up the DVD, or you can select from other premium items that are offered uh, on the kpfk.org website. And we want to give listeners just a little taste of what the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code sounds like, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild. It's a $100 thank you item here. You can visit kpfk.org. And now The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, our $100 thank you premium item here on American Indian Airwaves. Domination. The language of the papal bulls. The theme of domination is found in various Vatican documents from the 15th century. For example, in the papal bull of May 4th of 1493, Pope Alexander VI says that it is pleasing to the divine majesty that barbarous nations be subjugated. The Latin word is deprimantur, which means to reduce, to cast down or press down, to hold down, and it also states that it is pleasing to the divine majesty for the Christian empire to be propagated. Pope Alexander VI stated, we trust in him from whom empires and dominations and all good things proceed. The Holy See of the Catholic Church issued many such documents even before 1493. For example, in 1452, Pope Nicholas V issued a directive to King Alfonso of Portugal to go to the western coast of Africa and to invade, capture, vanquish, and subdue all Saracens, pagans, and other enemies of Christ to reduce their persons to perpetual slavery and to take away all their possessions and property. That directive was reissued in 1455, 1456, 1481, 1493, 1506, and 1514. So why was the document called a bull? It had to do with the fact that the document was sealed with wax, and that wax was imprinted with the papal ring and the insignia of the Holy See. From that wax was hung a red silken thread, and at the end of the red thread was a lead ball, and the Latin word for ball is bulla. What these documents demonstrate, though, in terms of the language that was used, is the pattern or the paradigm of domination and dehumanization. And this is very clear by looking closely at the kind of language that was used in those documents. They go back to a root word, domo, in Latin, which is a very unusual and obscure word. And it has seven main meanings. To subjugate, to subdue, to force into subservience, to tame, to domesticate, to cultivate, and to till. To cultivate in Latin is colere, which means to colonize or design. When you take the root of colonize, you have colon, which is the digestive tract of the body politic that is coming in invasively into the lands and territories of indigenous nations and peoples. And that colonizing, digesting activity makes that predator body politic a devouring, consuming body that's coming in uh, invasively on top of the original nations and peoples. 
And that was a snippet out of the Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, a $100 thank you item. It's a DVD. You heard the voice of Stephen Newcomb, who's also the author of our other thank you item, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Discovery, a book for $100, a way to support us here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK by calling 818-985-5735 or visiting the kpfk.org website and kick clicking on the KPFK widget. Marcus? Larry, you're to write the, and I'll read a statement from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church therefore repudiates these concepts that fail to recognize the inherent human rights of indigenous peoples including what has become known as the legal and political doctrine of discovery. Later on, you talk about the church's role in solidarity with indigenous people, the given rise to the Holy See's strong support of the principles contained in the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. That is a big statement. But following that, it says, it adds the implementation of those principles would improve the living conditions and now protect the rights of indigenous people as well as facilitate their development in a way that respects their identity, language, and culture. Larry, I think the words about the living conditions speak volumes, and I would hope as soon as people get this book or the film and realizing the profound effect on this information will have of many indigenous nations, rather than symbolically say yes or not to each other about what is going to be the mechanism in order to to give life to these statements and about where the church acknowledged that these papal bulls did not adequately reflect the equal dignity and the rights of indigenous people. It reminds me when we have programs here in the American Indian Airways, Larry, Years back with the Hawaiians, the Kanakimali people went to the Vatican when uh, the, the chairman of the Munson tribe sent letters to the Vatican, no response. And now this and its particular realm of how is it going to be expressed in the real world and the living conditions about Native people, Indigenous people, First People, however you want to call it, in order to raise the level of standard of living and doesn't mean necessarily the standard of living of middle class, but living in standard of living to respect identity, language, and especially the culture. Larry, if you want, but we're talking about this, if you want to know about this, get the book. It's a phenomenal book. We've been talking about it for more than a decade now here in America, you know, Steve, and then the film, we mentioned it before. You can get that $100. If, you're, or if you don't, can't afford an individual, let your organization, church group, trade union, let your civic social organizations, let your organizations order these books so we can have educationals about it. You can have filmed, show this film in your communities. Larry, another thing too that we want to mention, and uh, the sustainers, 
talk about that, Larry. What does this sustainers mean? People that want to help support the station here at KPFK and all the work that the volunteer programmers do. Um, again, you can pick up either one of the premium items, the book or the DVD on the Doctrine of Discovery. But, you know, you can go visit the kpfk.org website and agree to become a KPFK Sustainers Circle pledge member by agreeing to donate uh, a dollar denomination of your choice on a monthly basis. So there are a variety of ways in which you can help support KPFK. Uh, here uh, on American Indian Airwaves, you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Pick up either the book Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery for $100, or pick up the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code. It's a $100 thank you item. Or you can visit kpfk.org. You can pick up the premium items there. Select from other premium items that are offered um, that you can see on the kpfk.org website. Or you can agree to become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by agreeing to donate a dollar denomination of uh, your choice on a monthly basis. The moment of silence is over. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guest, Richard Stuller Shulk. A special thank you to our musical guests, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. They sleep caged against their fear. They try not to become what they've endured. Wearing their souls on the thread. The moment of silence is over. Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from their guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains is over.